Is he making a move? He's making a move. You're gonna whack him. Or should he get off scot-free? He should suffer. Why, why are you getting involved? You don't need to know why I'm getting involved. Okay. But what are you gonna do? I'll do something. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Killer Casting. It's so good to be here with you and with my sexy beasts. I'm Lisa Zambetti. I'm a casting director in Los Angeles, and we're just going to jump right into our coverage of Mr. Inbetween. Today, we're going to be recapping and reacting to episode five. If I had to rename this episode, I might call it something like The Redeemer or something. There's, there's just a lot of or the rectifier. I don't know. Something about it had sort of a quiet epicness to it. But let's let's jump in. So wait a minute. Say hello to my sexy beast. What am I doing? Bri, Bri, say What's hi. It's Brian A. Hill. How are you? Dean, uh, coming to you live from Melbourne and enjoying recapping episode five entitled Before I Went to War. Yep. Okay, so, okay, we open on the scene. Gaz, so maybe you're going to have to explain to me what he's doing. I had no idea what he's doing because it didn't seem like drug-related. He said it's something about keeping the food preserved. I wasn't sure what he was doing, but I knew it was probably something kind of ding-dong-y. So. It's a big bag of rice that he's got that he's portioning, it looks like. Is that what it was? Yeah, I don't know what it was, but it was, he mentioned it was to keep the moisture out, but I don't know what he was shipping. Like the little packets of things you get when stuff gets shipped to you and they don't want the moisture to, to infiltrate that bit of electronics and they get that little sachet of stuff that soaks up water vapor or something. I don't know what the hell he was doing and they didn't explain it. So yeah. like, maybe another one of these harebrained schemes. Yeah. I wasn't sure if it was some drug thing. I wasn't where aware of his quarters are getting messier and messier and the vajankle <laughs> am i even saying that right vajanga yeah. vajankle uh, is like just peeping out of this piece of linen i don't know what it's wrapped in god knows what it is it's some kind of sheet it's kind of peeping out and ray comes in and just you know, sits right down and you know he's he's got his business card and the phone rings and he gets his first job. Any anything you want to say about this opener here? Oh, just that I thought it was hilarious. He says, uh, yeah, got 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 the website up. Website went up yesterday, and here's the business cards. And he hands Ray this disgusting, lurid piece of crap of a business card. And Ray goes, Hmm, very schmicko. Like what what does that mean? What is schmicko oh, means Schmicko is like, oh, like Rudy Toot Toot. That's really slick. How, how, you know, classy. How nice is that? Mm. And it's just this disgusting, disgusting piece of art. Anyway, that was hilarious. Like, I think, I think Gaz has, has, devolved is not the right word, but he has certainly fallen into the comic relief role in a big, big way. Like, yeah, he's Mm. just becoming more and more ridiculous and he's he's moved away from that real man of action that we saw in socks are important right that mm. nine from season two like he was a man of action and I, I and of course he's still capable of that but this opener like just is ridiculous it's very funny i mean i mm. i thought it was hilarious yeah i do too you're right though he is kind of a punchline unto himself yeah. and i think that we're sort of needing that because things are getting heavy really heavy especially in this episode and so i think it's kind of a needed giggle but Brittany comes in and teenages to her dad that she wants to go to the beach and yeah just just stop me guys if you have anything to say and so he takes her to the beach with her little friends and then he does what every parent would just love to do and be a fly on the wall and they just park and he and Gaz just get out their binoc- the binoculars and just kind of watch to see what these tweens are up to. Dean, have you ever spied on your kids? 
and uh, you can admit to? <laughs> no, no I, I'm honestly trying to think. Not in that. No, not in that fashion. I've never followed them anywhere or done anything like that. Um, no, I've, 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 I'm a bit of a free range parent. God knows. I, I know what I did when I was a kid and some of it even turns my hair now. What I did myself, I had it. I survived my teen years as a, a Aussie male coming into adulthood. So no, I haven't done that. What about you? No, I mean, I've checked browser history. I mean, when they were little, I would love to come up to the, the schoolyard before picking them up and like watch them interacting with their friends and to, to see what their personalities are like when I'm not observing them and how they conduct themselves. But before we get to the good part of this scene, Gaz and Ray have, a, what do you call those? I almost said epistemological. Philosophical. Uh, philosophical idea. Philosophical. You know, uh, uh, theosophy. What? Exist, existential. Uh, yes, yeah. that's what I was See, looking for. Ex- thank you. Existential. Uh, theological. So what did you think of mm-hmm. their little chitty chat there, Bray bro? I, I really, again, like Scott really writes to the rhythm of friends, male friends talking to mm-hmm. each other. It's really natural. And I, and I know that when we, you know, we're interviewing him, he said they really go for realism and this is another example to me of the the camera as a witness Mm -hmm. do this so well and it doesn't feel forced but it's also an example of ray's like kind of growing spirituality yeah which we can thank adam for it just it occurs to me if we're gonna if i'm gonna use the word devolve for gaz mm-hmm. we are seeing ray evolve mm, into something more mm. i think and i think mm-hmm. the they're passing each other yeah, like they true. they found a midpoint and now they're going in opposite directions which is really interesting to Ooh. see good take okay d mm. yeah now when ray starts into his side of that discussion she basically leads I just laughed my ass off because i as an atheist i have the exact same thoughts as, as uh, Ray expresses in there, which is like, I'm all about the science and I love all of the, the Stephen Hawking's and all the cosmologists and everything. And I can kind of in an amateur way work out, yes, how the universe formed and you know, stars and all that sort of stuff. And then go back to, I can rewind intellectually back to the big bang, but then trying to wrap my mind around, well, what did the big bang happen in? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what yeah. what was it before it became a big bang that sort of thing and i don't know the answer to that but i just thought it was funny that ray expressed it exactly as i feel so i was chuckling at that okay so we have a a shift in the action where britty and a mini douchebag go go on a little walk and they go hang out on the cliff she's just seems like she's got a great head on her shoulders right he offers her the joint she turns it down and and ray the gaz are just like good girl good girl he tries to make a move on her the old arm over the shoulder and ray says that she flicks him is that a thing is that a term yeah she yeah flicks she him. flicks him yeah as in, yeah, flicking means to like as, as for the action. It's like no, just like to brush off, like gives you him would the brush fly off. or a tick. Yeah, it gives him the brush off exactly. Right, right. And so we're thinking this girl's got a good head on her shoulders. She's not going to be influenced by just some boy. And of course, as she walks away, she completely sees her dad and Gaz and makes them. And she's not even upset about it. It's just like this very matter of fact, okay, you're watching me. Can you just buy my friends and I some chips and all that stuff? What was funny about that was the two of them are sitting there in the car and both of them were paying out on this kid, calling him a little shit and a this and a that and and basically abusing him. And I'm thinking, you people, you two kill people for a living and they're bagging out this poor little teenager for being what he is, a teenage boy. It's like... uh, it kind of, the, this scene it didn't bother me that much, but thinking back about it, something that does happen on TV, it sort of infantilizes the child. The fact that the, the two of them are there as a pseudo mom and dad looking at the kid. It's like there was a movie that came out, I don't know, a year or two years ago called Cock Blockers. And I, it was had every star in it you can think of about a pairs of couples mm-hmm. working feverishly to stop their kids having sex. They're sick. Their kids are like, 16, 17 or 18 or something. And I just think that, that that's a disturbing tone. That's it, a whole, that whole, that's, you guys need help. There's a bit of seriousness inter, in, interjected into a light scene. So yeah, I just sort of found, uh, it was a funny scene, but the pre, the, what is it? The precept or the concept of it, I just find 
kind of distasteful. Well, it's sort of, but I don't know. I, I think it makes all the sense in the world. This is his little girl growing up and he's having a hard time with it. He He's not going to be her number one guy very, for very much longer. Well, and, and also to yeah, the closing scene, the close, the close. Yeah. Sorry. Just to say that the closing scene, which we'll get to, I absolutely loved. It just made, what's the word mature. It made mature sense of what he was, what he was feeling. Whereas this was, I felt just, yeah, I don't know. I just was like, meh. Okay. We'll get to that. I think, I think Ray, I mean, Ray is clearly a man of action. He's a control freak. He likes his ducks in a row. And this is a situation. His little girl growing up is something that is so beyond him. He is so far out of his depth that he doesn't know how to act like nothing, like, if it were a client, if it were any other situation, he would know how to handle it, but he simply doesn't. And we see more and more of that in a way in subsequent, you know, episodes, but right. we're really seeing it starting to kind of flower. To me, I think it's fascinating. Right? Yeah. In the face of this 12 year old, he is stopped <laughs> yeah. in his tracks, you know? Exactly. All right. So this next section, we're going to talk about the boxing gym, how it's closed. It looks like Ray's going there. He wants, he's going to go work out. He probably hasn't been there in a really long time. He's got his boxing shoes. He's got his gear and it's closed. And he sees the son, Killian, somebody he clearly knows. And he's shocked to find out that the owner we met last time has, has taken his own life. And it's such a beautifully sensitive scene. I, I mean, I just watched it over and over again. He just, when, when Scott Ryan writes, he just gives so much space for, especially men who aren't used to showing their feelings to kind of take it in, take in the shock, take in what does this all mean? I just thought it was a really interesting scene that carries on. I mean, it doesn't end in the boxing ring. He carries it on out to the bench. Let's go have a coffee. And it was just so funny watching how these particular men deal with their feelings and grief. Yeah, absolutely. It's just a, yeah, it, I, I'm watching the scene right now. And yeah, it, it is. It's just this kind of like, I don't know what to say. I mean, it, it's just, it's very true to life. Mm, it's yeah. not flowery. It's not over emotional. It's just like, he's shocked. And he plays that like, so realistically where mm -hmm. he just can't even find the words. Just a great what, little scene. So when he's sitting on the bench, it's just, I mean, it just makes me so... It just the way he writes these scenes, I get so excited about it. I can't even describe it. And again, it's what is not written, right? It's not a schmaltzy, overly sentimental. You can just see how tight he is, how he's thinking as the son is telling him about this bad investment. I mean, he his mind is just going and he knows you know, he knows exactly what happened. He knows exactly what to do. And when he says anything I can do, it's such a loaded question. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, th this is the thing I found really heartening too in watching the scene and thinking about our interview with Scott. Mm -hmm. I, I know that, that Damon said that what you're saying, you're seeing Scott on screen, but you're really not. I mean, yes, yes and no. And that's the beauty of it. Like mm -hmm. Scott is much more lights much more easily Cheeky. spoken easily yeah. mannered you know i mean like yeah, yeah much yeah. more free and and ray is decidedly not that he is like a spring he's wound up so tight yeah and, he's and and we see that in the economy of language so yes we are seeing scott for sure right. but it, it is a different aspect of his personality Clearly. Yeah, ab absolutely. He's almost clenched. In fact, you you took the words out of my mouth. That, that's something that I had written down for the last scene that we're going to talk about with his father, that his, his chest is almost concave with constriction. It's just so interesting. He finds out that Killian has paid $30,000 for some dingling to go do the hit. And he's like, nah, this is, this is not going to work. <laughs> There's nothing better than when Ray's playing cat and mouse with somebody. I mean, that's just like so much fun to watch. And so he goes to this Irish guy's house and, and is like, give me the money that Killian gave you. And he's got a strong on him to finally get the 30 K back. I, I called this guy. 
I called this guy. He was he was a hitman, but he was a very substandard hitman. And I instantly thought, it, I'm just calling him the shit man. Yeah. And when Ray goes to his house and and he says, yeah, as Ray said, well, Killian says, what are you going to do? And Ray just looks at him and says, I'll do something. And this isn't going to work well. And I just love the way this scene with the shit man and Ray, he... Ray just keeps him wrong-footed every question the guy asks. And, and he plays the guy playing this role. is fan- I don't know who he is. It's fantastic. He just such, does such a great job of being really confused about why is Ray there and what's going on and why are we even having this discussion and so on and so forth. He's just brilliant the way that that script and the performance goes off and then Ray puts him through the wall and uh, the action starts. But Yeah, yeah absolutely. Good, good Before I forget, mm-hmm. the ex- and it kind of piggybacks on what Dean was saying, the expression on his face as he's talking to the guy before he plows him into the wall, it's like he's looking at him sideways, like, okay, you're the guy <laughs> that he hired? Like, are you fucking, you know what I mean? It's like the difference between a pro talking to an amateur. Like, oh, you really think you, oh, yeah. you cut out to do this? Yeah, oh, okay. And again, like when we get to, I just, there's no dancing around with Ray. What I mean, like we don't get the big monologuing. None of, I mean, it's like he mm-hmm. just takes action and people have to suffer the consequences. And we see that it's so unlike American television, right? There's no yeah. kind of huge buildup. And again, no soundtrack. It's just mm-hmm. guys in the tub and his version of waterboarding. Exactly. I just was saying how much I love watching him play cat and mouse. And this next scene, he's playing, I don't know, panther and prairie dog. I don't know what. But when he stalks into this rich guy's Tony Diggs, this guy's drinking the $4,000 bottle of Pinot and listening to Bach. And he just comes in and it, it just the economy of language and just every question I mean, we don't understand why he's asking some of these questions, but he has a reason what kind of answers he wants. Anything about how he gets what he wants out of this guy? I was trying to think today if we've seen a more menacing scene Mm. with Ray in, Mm. in previous episodes and nothing really sprang to mind. Nothing like this, the kind of how drawn out it was but again drawn out but it's like but there's still an economy of language like you say like there's no wasted words there's no extraneous words he's not like monologuing he's menacing but in such a like controlled way and he's enjoying it. We, I don't think we've had, I mean, this is so personal to him. Like, yeah. that's what I mean. He's a rectifier in this, in this episode. He's a redeemer, the redeemer in the worst sense. Um, yeah. <laughs> and he's ex- exacting this revenge and he's enjoying it. He's enjoying spinning this guy and getting him to recant his lies and getting him to show him where the money is and threatening him with the hydrochloric acid. But then I was actually really shocked at how that last shot of the scene where he's just sort of kind of sweating and and getting the bag and ready to leave. And then just in the background, there's the guy hanging and struggling like that really shocked me. For some reason, I thought he would have left him like trussed up, but somehow I didn't think he was really going to kill him. But just the way that he just leaves him hanging, which I guess is a echo of how the boxing gym guy perhaps took his own life i just thought it was really chilling oh yeah much, because, much it, so because than... it was yeah because it was so underplayed as brian said probably more than ever and this scene i just rewatched that this morning i rewatched the episode and okay a couple of things so ray walks in and the way that he walks in unseen and the camera the guy's still going about his thing and they just don't notice he doesn't notice him for such a long time that scene reminded me so much of the scene where Walter White at the end of Breaking Bad. Yes, goes, that's what it was. Yeah, You're yeah, absolutely echo, right. Echoes of that. Yep. Oh my gosh. So it's a rich house and he shouldn't be there, but he is. And just the way that he wanders in so quietly. Now, by the way, I don't know if you clocked it, but that asshole who's driving a Porsche, mm-hmm. massive big TV, he's sitting. Did you see he was sitting in an Eames chair? made by Herman Miller. This is a famous chair, that chair and the accompanying mm-hmm. Ottoman. Mm-hmm. To buy them secondhand, an authentic one of those, is 10 grand, mm-hmm. right? That mm-hmm. Just the chair. Mm-hmm. And then and then he says, uh, oh, yeah. 
so quiet. How's the stock market going? And the guy goes, oh, fuck, what's going on? And then he says, uh, yeah, you, you want to sit down for me there, mate? Like, so nice, Brian. That's why it was so menacing, because he's being so nice. I knew right then, this guy's in fucking big trouble. Like, he's dead, right? He's going to be dead. And then the way that he says, oh, four, four grand, eh? Takes a swig out of the bottle, grimaces, and then just drops it on the carpet. And it's $4,000 red wine soaking into the guy's white carpet. And it's a moment of the shock where the guy's looking at him doing that, going, I can't believe you just did that. It's like, oh, it's going to get worse, mate. Yeah, Don't exactly. Work. And then, as you said, he just breaks down his bullshit. Oh, you ever been locked up? No, no, no. And then whack, that came out of nowhere. That was so good. And then he just just breaks him down and just and, and just takes him apart. And I thought it was beautiful. He's got the 30K pack back from the shit man. He's taken the shitload of money out of the guy's garage, which probably exceeded the 220 that, that he's going to give back to Killian. So Killian gets back a quarter million cash. Ray's got the leftover cash and drives off with the Porsche, which he's going to sell, sell to a chop shop to, for it to get rebirth. He's going to make money out of that. And he leaves the guy who's apparently suicided. And what great blocking that is, Lisa. So there's the camera on Ray. It's just moving slightly as he's walking around that island bench. And then as the camera just, just sort of pants to the left, then you see the guy in the back and it's going to look yeah. like a suicide. Yeah, it's like perfect. One thing I want, and I want to mention this now so that we talk about it with, in conjunction with Six, the fact that Ray walks in and is nearly over the guy's shoulder and the guy doesn't see him, I think it represents something, like, he just exists in the shadows. Mm -hmm. Like, Ray is so nondescript. It's almost like he has no presence until he decides to be present. Mm -hmm. and we see in, like, Ray who... I think that is just like an exaggeration of like his aura, right? I mean, he's mm -hmm. able to do this job. I mean, and I was thinking about this today, like all of these murders that he does, like he's never suspected, like the cops never come around, mm -hmm. right? He's just a ghost. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's, that's something that he has probably always been his entire life. And it's mm -hmm. coming out in these, weird ways he they're showing that in weird mm. like how that's happening in his life unnoticed i thought it was good too the way he drove off with the porsche there's a scene there where he's just he cracks a big smile on his face as if to say oh, that was a that was a job well done and then it's a jump cut to him just standing in his front we go from ray just killing him and then pang cut and there he is just watering the garden just He's so his, so you know, pedestrian basic. yeah uh, there's, there's, there's kookaburras in the background and then cut to black and we go to a different scene just brilliant yeah i i i noted that too that great juxtaposition all right i'm gonna let you guys talk about this next section because i really this is my least favorite Thing that is happens in the show is sort of this comedizing of gays <laughs> so uh, you guys can talk about Gaz and his porno shoot I mean it was just for me like it was just supposed to be funny and we we're supposed to be laughing about Gaz being in the situation that he's clearly uncomfortable with I mean I think it's just it just he has this idea of like what the porno industry is going to be for him mm -hmm. it's not just that you know what I mean like mm -hmm. it and so uh, I, I thought it was going to go in a really different way, mm -hmm. given Gaz's yeah, background. I know, right? Well, I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, what is he to be raising his eyebrows about these two guys when he's way kinkier than yeah. this? But Yeah, I, I just found the whole thing a diversion. It was quite long, too. And yeah. this scene, and I just thought, I, didn't, I don't know what purpose it served mm. other than to, you can see him struggling to sort of keep his facade of oh my god okay it's it's the, the two guys thing right so there's that and then he's also at the same time bullshitting about his production knowledge oh so we could do it this way well yeah and it's, it's like yes it was an it was him being awkward and sort of coming to grips with it but I, d I don't I don't even know what this storyline is about I confess uh, it's just a distraction yeah I, I mean I, I the the anticipation of how he was reacting, like he, like putting his hat, taking his hat off and kind of like stopping and struggling and then turning around. I really thought like he's going to resort to violence. Like he's mm. going to be so uncool yeah. with this scenario that he's going, that 
Uh. And, it, and if nothing else, I mean, it didn't do that. Mm-hmm. Right. You know what I mean, but yeah. but yeah, I mean, I'm I'm with Dean. It's like I'm not exactly sure what we're trying to communicate about Gaz. Yeah, I guess later we'll get to it later. I mean, there's one punchline later in the next episode that I'm like, okay, well, maybe this is the setup for that joke. But anyway, okay, let's go to this next section here. This last section of this episode. I hate deathbed reconciliation speeches. I have no time for that kind of sentimental claptrap. But get and given that, I thought this whole section was so powerful and worked so, so well as we um, start with Ray going to his dad's house that has been, you know, damaged by the fire that was set, picking up clothes. I, I guess he's got to go pick up some of his dad's things. It's it, He's required to. I'm sure he doesn't want to be there. And he's looking through photos and the like. And then he brings it to the el- elder care home. I thought this is... Uh, if the the scene with the con man was one of my favorite scenes uh, this one would probably be right alongside of it mm-hmm. and considering how we can't make sense of the whole gas scene that that's that this sandwiches it only makes it more impactful to see ray sitting on the bed and look looking through the box and he sees a photo of his dad before he went to war, you can barely see it, but I watched closely. So it was his dad standing in front of a big Aussie flag. He mm. was kind of jumping. He looked happy and celebratory. He was probably about to go off to war. I don't know. But, and then he picks up a photo and looks at it intently. I'm assuming that that is Bruce, that young kid. And it's just, it's quiet. There's there's nothing much happening. And then we cut to Ray coming into the room, dropping the bag, trying to get away. Mm-hmm. And dad wakes up and says, oh, son, can you stay? And Ray says to, to the character, to Bill, his dad, he says, he repeats the exact same words that the con man, the, the shit man, sorry, said to him, I got a heap of stuff I have to, I got to do. And his dad manages to convince him to sit down. And then comes the monologue from his dad, which is just heartbreaking i just thought it was so so well done and we raised this topic in our interview with scott about whether he always saw his dad in this arc of him having ptsd and and alcoholism and so on and you you listeners will be hearing that in the next week or so but the thing about this is ray barely says a word there's only Mm -hmm. one line but he never once he sits down he never ever makes eye contact with his Mm -hmm. dad again in this Mm -hmm. scene and as his dad just unfolds this story and, he, and his dad's heart's breaking and Ray actually tears up, God mm-hmm. forbid, at the very mm-hmm. end, I just thought it was one of the best scenes in the entire three series. Agree. I think, I think Scott, the end of the scene where he, when he's not looking at him and you can see that he's fighting against mm-hmm. everything in him mm-hmm. to respond and to react. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I mean, not to make it, about actors and acting or whatever but uh, you and i have been in workshops where you can see people they come in and do a scene and as soon as they start talking i think to myself oh they're gearing up to cry yep here we go they're gearing up to cry oh and they cry instead of playing the truth of the moment (laughs) and scott i mean like it's a it's a clinic but i mean it's like ray's not going to show any emotion it's not his well, people in does, general you know? don't want to cry. Right, exactly. I mean, you, you're trying not to cry every time you, you, you have a <clears> scene <throat> where tears are required. The point is this character does not want to lose control. So that's that was certainly well played. Yeah, it just, it, it, and, and this is the thing too. I, I think, Dean, I think you mentioned this in another pod or conversation. Like, I think for me, when I saw the title, I thought for sure this was going to be about Ray's story, mm-hmm. right? Oh, Before absolutely. He went to war. You absolutely. Know what I, mean? I was hundred percent so, convinced. Yep. Yeah. And so I, I, but I do think, I, I do think that in that moment at the end for Ray, it is, I mean, and this is conjecture. I mean, I'm, I'm reading into it, but I think that there is a connection between them in that way. They have both gone to war 
Mm-hmm. And and there was a Ray before mm-hmm. the war. I absolutely his agree. A hundred percent. Yep, you are. I, I had the exact same reaction. And especially that last that last tableau, right? Where mm-hmm. it's just we got them in a two shot, and they're facing each other without looking at each other. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Let me dig into that a little bit. Actually, so his father is actually leaning forward, very supplicating to his son. His head is leaning forward. His body is leaning forward. And if you look at Scott Ryan's body, he's actually contracted in, Mm. uh, is kind of concave. Like his gut is like pull like his body wants to be shaped away. like a C. his like yeah his yeah yeah. Like a C. yeah and his while well, his head is leaning forward and turned away i mean it's such a uh, i mean i i i gush all over this shit this body language stuff because i just love it and i love that there is a two shot to show it yeah well and it, it, it and i was looking at the shot just now too and like how his father it, it's it's I think you said the word supplication like mm-hmm. like a confession like mm-hmm. it is it is a yeah, confession yeah, yeah before a father figure before the priest right it's that kind of yeah and i don't know and brian i don't know if you're gonna agree with me or not and i'm i'm gonna say something to dean that may shock him but this is such an american myopic thing to say i didn't realize that australians were in the vietnam war because for americans it's like such this iconic third rel i mean it has just been Mm. just a huge subject as well Mm. it should in our lives and veterans coming back and the war protest and Nixon or or whatever. It's such a huge subject in our American history that it just didn't even occur to me that it's also such a moment for other countries. And so when the father is saying this, it's like, I'd never even thought about this. I, I only knew that I only knew that uh, Australia had a presence in Vietnam only because I was hugely into Vietnam as a kid. Mm-hmm. That's the only yeah. reason why I knew. Yeah, we we, we went through similar uh, social upheaval over the war. Uh, it overturned the government of the day, uh, and a left wing government was elected on the back of a lot of anger about the participation in the war. Mm-hmm. We had a draft just like you did. Mm-hmm. We had a lot percentage-wise, a lot of guys got drafted and went to Vietnam and, and a lot didn't come back. So, yeah, we, and we were in there early. So we, America and Australia have always been in lockstep pretty much militarily. Mm-hmm. And because it was just north of us, we were in the sights to be asked to help and, and we did. So, yeah, it was quite a big thing. The end of this particular episode, as Ray, uh, just on the back of all of that emotion already, we get the beautiful song, from Nick Cave into my arms and the first line of which is I don't believe in an intervention as God and then you think about the God conversation that he had and it was just it's an echo of that and then if you I'll post the lyric a link to the lyrics when you read the lyrics of this song it's all about I don't believe in God but if there is I want him to look after you Mm. right Mm -hmm. and it's just a beautiful choice and so this continues my fascination now with their end songs but it was just a beautiful closeout and it was if if you weren't already on the edge of tearing up on this scene Mm -hmm. that nick cave song coming in brilliance and i'm so grateful there wasn't a hug at the end of it or it's very much left unresolved there isn't an i love you dad there isn't all of that schmaltzy treacly stuff it's just left like life unfinished and we just move on so just before we close out on this episode i have a a reveal for american audiences the uh, con man and the whole story of him and how he conned the owner of the gym is as soon as his as soon as killian mentioned herbal weight loss tea Every Australian's brain snapped to one person, which is an infamous con man in Australia, who has, he's now be, be... Uh-oh. Am I frozen or are you... The company register, he's been barred from being the director, he served time in jail. Oh, oh. We lost, we lost um, you for a second. Keep, get, okay, that's, okay. Just, that's okay. Yeah, you're, you're on a roll. You served time in jail. Okay. 
Yeah, this guy served time in jail. He is a notorious, notorious con man and his most famous cons. And he ran them in the UK. He even snuggled up to Blair, the Prime Minister of, of, of um, England at the time, and ended yeah. up in a scandal with him. He served time in England. He served time in Australia. And he most recently was arrested only a year ago. Now, he's normally a clean-shaven, chubby sort of a guy, but he's got this big, bushy beard. Guess who he looks like? Exactly looks like the guy. Oh, really? Uh, the, the con man. Oh, yeah. They could be brothers. Okay. Oh, wow. he, now, here's where Scott's having some fun with us. This con man's real life name is Peter Foster. The character in this episode, who is the con man with the herbal tea, his name is Greg Foster. Mm. <laughs> well, so thank you for he, that. We would just set that one never... in there as a little bit of, there you go, Americans. Alrighty. Okay, well that's ep five, and we're gonna roll right into episode six. You've taken something, I can tell. Where'd you get it? Um. Where'd you get it? Where's he live? I'm going home. You're not going anyway. Oh what? You gonna shoot me? No, I'll just shoot your boyfriend. You get out of here. Great. Then you can go back to prison where you belong. Okay, this is my favorite episode of the season so far. Mm, okay. And yeah, there are a million reasons why, but we're going to have to have Brian explain what a Laverne and Shirley is. Oh, yes. Because I'm my Laverne, dying for this. Because my so... Laverne and Shirley was going off all over the place. And I was thinking of Brian. I'm like, oh, my God. See, so that's go weird. Mine wasn't. Ooh, okay. I watched the whole thing. I was completely comfortable. So to American and Australian and... British fan or wherever you are in the world. So Laverne and Shirley is a 1970 sitcom. I grew up in the seventies and it's a phenomenon that when I was a kid watching Laverne and Shirley, whenever they would get into their hijinks or embarrassing <laughs> situations, I would literally have to get up and leave the room because I felt so mortified. I felt so mm -hmm. embarrassed for them. I couldn't, it made me so anxious that I had to leave the room. Yeah. And it's just, it's, it has still, it has stayed with me my entire life. So I can't watch anyone sing the national anthem because I'm afraid they're going to fuck it up. Mm -hmm. I can't watch American <laughs> Idol. I can't watch The Office. Forget it. Yeah. With Michael Scott. Oh, with Michael Scott. Yeah. Yeah. So it's cringiness. It's like yeah, the right. cringy shit. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like okay. I, the movie, the movie, Doug Lyman's movie made with Favreau and Vince Vaughn, they play kind of low level gangsters mm -hmm. or whatever uh -huh. during that movie i watched with a couple buddies of mine i had to uh, i smoked at the time <laughs> i had to leave watching that movie like five different times because i just i couldn't handle it so mm -hmm. that's the laverne and shirley complex yeah. it, i used, uh, to, get, I used that's, to get that's good. the laverne and shirley like if i was watching a show with my parents and like a sex scene came on i would oh. like have to get out so so i mean like you could call it an i love lucy complex too right so okay. her and Ethel getting into her, their hijinks where they were going to mm -hmm. be discovered or whatever, like that's a no-go. I can't watch. I got to yeah, leave. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. go. okay. So that's the well, Laverne that's and Shirley complex. And that's what Lisa got. Well, that, that'll resonate with Aussie audiences because Laverne and Shirley, just like Happy Days, was a smash network mm -hmm. over here when there was no, we had three channels to watch, right? In, in mm -hmm. Australia at that time. So Everybody watched Happy Days and everyone watched Laverne and Shirley. It was massive. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, that didn't kick in for me until the school reunion scenes. But anyway, so we open up on six and they're watching some Eric Bana movie. Now, what do this movie? Do what? You know, did, did, did I just hear you correctly? They're watching some Eric Bana movie? <laughs> Holy shit. I recognize shit. Eric Bana, but that was it. Oh, I only knew it was God. Eric Bana because the subtitle said Eric oh, Bana. <laughs> fuck. This is Chopper. Chopper? This is what the movie Chopper, Chopper. mate. Oh, <laughs> sorry, you, I don't know what you, Chopper is. You don't know the movie Chopper? Mm -mm. No. Oh my god. Oh, okay. We're gonna have to take a break while I go and get oxygen. Uh <laughs> okay, so this is a movie. It was a huge cult hit in the U.S. as well as Australia, based on a real life hitman called Chopper Reed. But this movie, directed by Andrew Dominic who, as we found out when we spoke to Damien Herriman, directed him in that episode of Mindhunter when he played Charlie Manson. Okay. So Andrew's an Australian director. 
and made this film Chopper, but it is notorious for A, it's a bloody great film. B, based on the true life of this Aussie criminal who's a total lunatic, now dead, called Mark Chopper Reed. Incidentally, my son's my son and his son went to the same primary school. I used to see him all the time. But but it was the movie that broke Eric Banner because prior to that he was an Australian stand-up comic. Ooh, uh, what? And, and, what? And, and, oh, that was oh my what he was famous for. Crazy. Holy he, shit. He was cast to play this psychotic bad guy killer who in real life tortured, murdered people, murdered other criminals and extorted them for money. We're like, that's a miscast. And then when he in the role, oh my God. And that's what got him the attention of Hollywood. Without Chopper, Eric Banner would not have a Hollywood career. That is a fact. So anyway, wow. yeah. Okay. So, and, and, and that scene of here, no cash, cash, no cash here. That is an Australian icon. You will hear blokes in the pub. If someone says, hey, have you got any cash? They'll go into that routine. Like it is iconic in the whole, it's the most iconic scene in the whole movie. And there they are watching it on the couch. Okay. So Ray and Gaz are on the couch. Watch, And of course I'm obsessed. I'm always obsessed with the set decoration, the decoration. You know, it's even more messy in this room. There's an iron in the background. I'm trying to think why would he, what is he ironing? Like what in the world? would there be in their lives to iron but anyway and they're sitting on a couch that by now probably has like 2000 toots in it from them sitting there sorry i can't more than that probably with yeah. the, the jankle <laughs> yeah <laughs> any hoodle so they're sitting there and oh so this is the the punchline i think to the whole setup of of gaz in the previous episode shooting the same-sex couple yeah, i know what you're gonna say yeah so when he says well now that i'm a director I can't watch a movie like this without whatever he says. I don't know. So that's sort of for me, the payoff, which is fine. So Gaz is like, maybe I might want to actually make like a real movie in. And Ray's like, what you mean in Hollywood? Oh, you'll fit right in. And I just love that having spoken to Scott Ryan and and his experiences in Hollywood, I thought that was a very nice, like, pow, you know? Okay. So even better, this is the line I thought you were going to mention. So he said, Gary says, I want to make a Hollywood movie. Ray says, oh, you'll fit right in. Gaza says, really? Ray says, pause. Yeah, they're all fucking perverts. <laughs> right, 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 right. Okay, uh, and so then Gaz brings up, hey, are you going to the reunion? And then you smash cut to them, like, entering through this, I don't know what you well, call before, it. Like, before sure. the smash cut, though, before the smash cut, Ray didn't receive any invite. Yeah, right. Exactly. Like he received no notification at all. And mm-hmm. and again, like, kind of referring back to what I mentioned in season, or in episode five, He's just this non-entity. When Gaz brings up the high school reunion, that's the first time I realized that they went to high school together. Maybe this is, I don't know if this yeah. is a, a recon or whatever. I thought that they were army mates or whatever. And then I was thinking, wait a minute, didn't he tell Allie that he didn't graduate from high school? So I was really curious as to what was going to happen. Yeah, well, that makes sense. The fact that Ray is sort of a bit miffed that he didn't get an invite, it's like, dude, you live off the grid. You're a hitman. How are they going right. uh, 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 to hit, hitman Sydney? Something like that. Gaz is trying to get him to go, and Ray says to him, I'm not fucking going. Smash cut into the both of them walking into yeah. the, the room. The, the fringy stuff. Oh. And, okay, so I, you guys must have had this sort of experience before where you go into... A, a party in a facility and there's not quite enough people there yet and the music's too loud and it's like oh shit i'm here too early and it's just so awkward and that's when my laverne and shirley was just going like oh this is my as a socially inept person this is my right. nightmare to have all these eyes like looking at oh who just arrived and Oh, I, I, I was just, I was having, I was having a little bit of a reaction to that. So it says, welcome class of 96. The visual is great. His hair is all slicked back. He's got the rumpled linen blazer. I guess he didn't use his iron on the linen blazer. I don't know. He looks <laughs> he's got a man bun. Did you see that? He's, he's oh, got is, the, is he? in the man bun. Yeah. <laughs> he looks showered, right? A little bit of Miami Vice and Ray's just all in black, <laughs> which is fine. And so then they talk about Gaz seeing his first crush. And this line just slayed me. Ray's first crush is on 
Steffi Graf. I mean, that is such a specific reference that it yeah. must be true. Right? I got it. So I got it. Sorry, Brian. Again, I had just like the God scene. I remember as a teenager looking at Steffi Graf going, wow, look at those legs. And she was built. She was stacked. She was a great okay. tennis player as well. But it was like, yeah. I, and so again, I'm like, yep, I get that totally. Okay. Yeah, I, I didn't have a thing with Steffi. I never understood that with her and Andre Agassi. But, <laughs> Andre Agassi. but the thing that bothered me about the scene was, did I understand him correctly when he went to the bar? Did he order scotch and Coke? Oh, yeah, that's that that would that's if you're ordering in a pub when you're serving scotch, 80 percent of those orders would be scotch and Coke. Oh. Uh, 80%, 80% of those orders would be scotch and coke. That was not me groaning, by the way, audience. That was the dog. <laughs> That's why I re-recorded it. That was the dog here. Hang on, they're moving downstairs, so we'll get some peace now. So I just love that everybody that they start talking to, nobody remembers Ray. But it's such it's really kind of a sweet scene because Gaz is just like chomping at the bit to go talk to his crush and Ray's like, okay, go get him. Go get him, Taiga. I just think it's just, I don't know. I just loved seeing this fish, two, two very weird fish out of water, trying to sort of reintegrate with their past. I thought that was really... Uh, I, thought, I thought it was, I didn't quite get it that way. What I saw was that finally Gaz has somewhere where he actually fits in. He's the man. Everybody remembers him. He's confident. He's moving. As he says, I'm single and ready to mingle. Like he's in his people, right? Absolutely. And Ray, no one remembers him. And he just goes to the bar and says, oh, fuck this. I'm going to just get a drink, right? And Gaz is out. He's moving and shaking. It's like this is Gaz's scene. But we know it's not going to end well because it's going all too well, isn't it? Yeah, he gets it's going and I think too, well. too, I mean, I think, and I think too, like with somebody like Ray, you make a conscious decision to be nondescript, to blend in. And, but there's always, I think, a moment, and I've certainly experienced, there's always a moment where it's like, you want to be recognized, mm -hmm. but you're too far gone mm -hmm. to where nobody remembers you. You are a non-entity and you have mm -hmm. to like deal with that. Yeah, but he's also in this company where Gaz is like talking to a woman who's like a real estate agent. And it's like, so what do you do? And, and you sort of, you're, you're just not in the yeah. same world. Oh, that yeah. was, a, okay. So now I get the Laverne and Shirley because he says, Gaz says, oh, yeah, I've started my own production company. Here, let me give you my card. And I'm like, no, don't pull <laughs> exactly. out that That's the reaction. shitty business card. That looks yeah. No, don't do it. Okay, this scene, so, so Ray goes to take a smoke outside. This scene, once again, I know I'm repeating myself. It is so brilliantly set up and just, I, I, I haven't a loss for words. I just love this scene with the principal, how it just goes moment by moment, and there is such a moment of danger there where you think, yeah. oh, my God, something mm. bad is really going to happen to this principal. I just I just loved it. it. It was so again, it's so sensitive. And you see that once Ray re realizes who he who the principal is and he says, I remember you. It's got to be something so traumatic that he remembers him for something that has stayed with him since I don't even know. what. Well, and this is the thing, too. I mean, so on on two levels, Ray holds on to things. I mean, he says it. Yeah. Mm. He does it with his dad. He does it with this guy. And the story that he tells is so extreme. I cannot believe that that guy, even after all of these years, doesn't remember like berating a kid for dragging his feet and marching him into a room and humiliating him in front of a group of sixth graders. Brings the I point home for me. Like Ray, want, as a kid, wanted to disappear. And I think that's a function of his home life. The mm -hmm. violence in his home. He just, he didn't want to be seen because when he's seen, that's what happens. Well, you know I totally I mean? believe that the principal didn't remember him because I totally believe that he was one of like dozens and dozens of kids that he humiliated. And mm. you, you get a sense of that, that the principal kind of goes, oh, gave you a hard time. Like he knows what a bastard he was. Mm -hmm. I mean, I remember principals at my junior high, like, punching kids out i mean what there can oh yeah there can be such violence and yeah. uh, all kinds of crazy shit happens brian you just said you couldn't believe that the principal wouldn't remember i'm with lisa if he was that abusive he did it thousands of times and ray wouldn't have stuck out 
But what I can't believe is if Scott invented that story, if that didn't happen to him, then that's a hell of a piece of writing because it's so specific. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if, if we hadn't already have interviewed him, I would have asked him, did you draw that one from your own school experience or did you see it happen to a best mate or something like that? Because it was, it was uh, that specific. And the other thing, Lisa, that it tweaked my RCP radar was that when the principal apologises, it was a sorry, not sorry kind of an apology, but it was one that sexual abusers and Ray hinted when he said the line, Oh, you're the guy that used to take all the kids off to. I know. I thought whatever. That- and I went, mm, okay, where's this going? Uh-oh. Right. Then yeah. it didn't go there really, but it, we left it hanging. And then the principal said, look, I don't remember doing that, but if I did, I apologize. And it was all the language that the sexual abusers and that yep. they use where they kind of admit if it happened, Oh, if I offended you, then I apologize. Or if it had, I can't remember it happening, but if it happened, all this sort of plausible deniability bullshit, a brilliantly written saying. Yeah. And, Scott- and, yeah, and, 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 and Ray says, Ray says, the principal says, mate, it's been 30 years. You need to get over this. And Ray says, no, people, people hang on to things. So be careful how you treat people. Yeah, that's, that's what so I, I was just going to say. And so you can see that his father, this principal, that it made a big difference in how he he turned out. And it's interesting because the principal does try to tiny bit make amends. Like, I always thought I had to be the tough guy. Mm. And so, I mean, you can see that even in Jess, Jess Hill's book about male, the, the toxic male in Australia who they they can't they aren't allowed to cry you must be a ball breaker you must be strong I mean she she goes into great detail about what this does to men on the other side of it and so I mean that's what it made me think of Dean so yeah absolutely and look just the the last my last point on that scene again I'm just wondering if it's just per coincidence or not but as soon as the principal, after Ray shook his hand, the principal started to walk up the steps back into the into the function, and he got his what is it? His middle finger and his pointer finger together. He put it to his head, and he gave him like a little two fingered salute, and uh-huh. it looked exactly the same as uh, this is quite a cut, I know. Um, Jackie Brown when they're doing the bag switch in Jackie Brown and Robert. Forster's character, Max Cherry, gets busted. He gets seen by Bob De Niro's character. It's a carbon copy. And I'm thinking, hmm, maybe Jackie Brown's a favourite movie of Nash's or someone's. So I don't know. Listeners can chime in on that one if they want. Okay. We go back in to the awkward dance, high school dance. And Gaz, God bless him, he's trying to get somewhere with his crush and some idiot comes up and keeps calling him shit dick and and really teasing him in not a fun way um all hell breaks loose was as we know it, it had to right it had yeah. to <laughs> that that guy that actor uh, who was the guy razzing up gaz is his name his character was called kenny but the uh, he was the star of the movie snowtown which was the story the film about the bodies the true story of the bodies in the barrels in outback south australia no, that, you haven't seen that one. Yeah. Another gothic outback based on a true story, Australian yeah. crime. Like Wolf yeah. Creek. I... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. If, if you liked that, then you'd like this. If you didn't like Wolf Creek, yeah. you wouldn't like this either. Yeah. Very and, and based on a true story of very nasty people. Yeah, and the funniest, uh, funniest line in this whole section is, well, they'll remember you now. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. This next scene that we're going to talk about is so disturbing. It's just so brilliant. So we're back at Ray's house, whatever. It's the next day. He's doing dishes. And Britt comes in. And at first I'm like, oh, okay, maybe something really sad happened at school. Maybe something. And she's feeling very contrite and something emotional is going on with her, which is why she comes in and she kind of sits there and looks at him and is asking dad, are you happy? I mean, she seems to be suddenly not her normal tweeny self and she's giving him real attention and asking him real questions. Although they're odd, like, do you miss uncle Bruce? Which of course means, I mean, when you're on drugs, of course your inhibitions come down and, and your emotions come out and what she really, 
And uh, yeah. And what she really means is that I miss Uncle Bruce. She's feeling that. Do you miss Allie? It means she misses Allie. And he turns to her. And what 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 does he realize? She's high. Yeah, well, it, yeah she's high. It's when she says, "Love you, Dad." Considering what's gone on between them. And then and the way that she the just, towel. yeah, it starts to just yeah. finger the bottom of the towel and Ray's like, oh, okay. <laughs> it's a such a heartbreaking moment. thing when he looks at her and he realizes it. I mean, this is just the great thing about his acting. It's like, you can see there is so much going on. His mind mm. is spinning. What is she on? Who gave it to her? I just love it. His face is just so full. There's, um, so much, there's so much happening in his eyes mm-hmm. always. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like his intensity is like shines through. It's just really fantastic. Yep. The kill the killer line in this scene in this scene for me was when she she denies having taken anything. Mm-hmm. She denies having taken anything. And he says, Don't lie. And she almost sneers at him and says, Oh, that's right, Ray. That, oh, that's right. That's your job, isn't it, Ray? and addresses him by his like she's never called him ray and i'm like oh bam i mean this girl has so much anger in her right and so we've just breathed a sigh of relief in the previous scene when she doesn't take a toke from little dickhead but now it's clear she's not in a good place she's got a huge amount of anger and resentment with her dad and at the same time she's hurting it's just such a wonderful complex way to do it anyway so off he goes he's like he knows exactly where she got the drugs and he knows exactly what to do with this little shithead and he wants to know who his supplier is anything before we get to this very disturbing next scene in the face of this 12 year old girl like what he does with dylan is what he can't do with her Mm -hmm. but he's Mm. he's still capable of menacing and threatening a 12 year old because we see it mm-hmm. with the boy mm-hmm. right but in the face of this little girl he is annihilated he can't respond right i i just love that dynamic but he goes into action so it's not the age he could give a shit mm-hmm. yeah you know, clearly Right. So he gets the name of the dealer. So you, you see this, the next scene, this young girl, teenage girl, oh. and you just know it's like this is where Brittany could be headed, right? Mm-hmm. This is like her future. This girl who's very pretty, a little bit too much makeup, already looks a little zoned out, knocking on the door, and oh my God, this guy that they cast. I don't know where they got this guy from, but he was just the perfect melding of jittery tweaker, child molester. I don't know. I I mean, he is so greasy Mm, and and so coked up. And the sick thing is, is she sits there, she takes a toke and there's not even, he doesn't even have to say what she has to do to get the drugs. He just lays back on that vinyl couch and she knows that she's what she's got to do it's just so scary and you just can't help but think about pretty like this this is the run that she could go down and in comes ray and he crashes through the and i love that when ray crashes through the window the fucking drug dealer like grabs the girl like yeah i was gonna comment on that yeah Yeah. like like she's gonna protect him so Ray's out there watching what's happening and I wrote this he's watching the girl with the drug dealer Ray sees Brit Ray sees red dealer dead mm-hmm. <laughs> so so what is he yells go to the girl and and this yeah the guy's desperately hanging on like as if like I said as if that's yeah. gonna help the expression on stop the, the, the expression on Ray's face once the glass shatters mm. and he's looking at the drug dealer is you, you can't, I, I don't know, it's it's very real. It's I terrifying. He's, he's, he's really very he's, fucking terrifying. He's the monster. He's, he's over the edge and he's, again, it's personal. Mm. All yeah. of these things are getting closer and closer and more and more personal. There's yeah. been quite a lot of comment on the um, socials about why people bemoaning the fact that, oh, why didn't they share what happened to the dealer? And it's like... Have you not watched any of these previous shows? Do you not know what Nash and Scott are about? That's why you get a cut. 
right there. You don't need to. Exactly. You know, you you, it's far better the way that they. they You've already it. seen Leave him hang well, a guy. You yeah, know. you just saw that. Yeah, I mean, it's left to our imagination. And I think that's where it should be. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So we're back home. Brittany and Gaz are playing cards. Hopefully she's coming down from her high. I don't know. But Ray comes in and he's just at a loss on what to do. The best thing he could do is you're not going to see that guy again. Oh, and yeah. I want to make a correction. It's not Dylan. It's Adrian. Yeah. Adrian is the, is is the boyfriend. Yep. Yeah. Adrian. Okay. If I see you with him again, whatever, whatever. And she's not sorry. She's, this is what's so interesting. It's like, there's no tears. There's no, oh my God. Like with the gun, it's like, oh, you caught me. Like she is just fearless. She's, she doesn't try to hide her high, right? Mm. And he's not like, you're grounded. There's just like none of the normal parenting cues and scripts. I mean, just even in our real lives, if, my kid came home high, I would, obviously I would be like intervening all over the place, but he just, he almost doesn't even blame her. He doesn't say, what are you doing? Why, why did you do this? Don't you, how bad drugs are? And he doesn't give her the talk. It's just very interesting <laughs> because he's a part of it. I mean, he's part in some ways, part of the drug trade, right? I mean, it's just a very interesting situation that, that he's in given his occupation. Right. Oh, the, 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 the script that he gives Chick, the lines that he gives Chick are in this are unbelievable. And as you said, it's the, it's the echo of that earlier conversation where she's got the, where he walks in and smells the gunpowder. And then they have this exchange, rapid fire exchange, but she bests him in the exchange. And she does it again here because he said, he says, oh, uh, you, you're not to see Adrian anymore. And she says, oh, what are you going to do? Shoot me? And then Ray says, no, I'll just shoot him. And then she says, good, then you'll go back to prison where you belong. Ugh. Pow, right? And then he says, well, okay, he tries another tack. He goes, uh, well, if you, you know, don't behave yourself, then I'll tell your mum that about the cap and about this and about that. And she says, well, then I'll tell her you've got a gun and in the house. And she storms off and she says, I'm leaving. And he says, no, you're not. I'm not taking you anywhere. She says, I'll call mum and slams the door. It's like race left there. <laughs> Shit. Welcome to uh, teenage girls. Right? right, right. It's just it's just an interesting way to play out this scene that is very different than what you would get in an, in another um, a show. Okay, so and, we and and then just on that, sorry, just the one thing. If you if you rewatch this episode, folks, just look because uh, Gaza is sitting at the table because he was playing cards with with Brit before. I guess he doesn't know what's going on between how much Brit knows about what, what's been going on with Ray and the guns and stuff. Right. And the look on his face, as the guy in the middle and he, he's got this look on his, and then he sips a tea and his eyebrows go up like, what the <laughs> fuck is going on? It was just a nice little, it's only like two seconds. Just, right. But, no, it was so great. And so we resolve this episode at the end. It's kind of a callback to when the gun scene and how they kind of resolve their, there are differences in silence. And, and uh, so he's made pizza. She comes out. They're just sitting at the table. And he tries to kind of get through to her as best he can what is out there and what he's trying to protect her from. What did you make of this last scene? She is her father's daughter, right? There is a component of her personality that belongs to him, that it has nothing to do with abuse or any of that. She's just nonplussed by anything. She's just self-possessed in a way that, that reminds me of Ray. And in the face of that, what can Ray do? Because he's not a screamer, he's not a yeller. It's like, he just tries to talk to her, but you can't talk to a teenager necessarily. Right. It's yeah. a really interesting game of like four dimensional chess that mm -hmm. both of them are playing, right? Mm -hmm. And I think he's just completely out of his depth. And I love how they dramatize that. Right. And he's seen so many versions of Britty in his work. I mean, how th bad things could go. He's seen the dead girl who vomited that he had to get rid of. He's seen the strippers at, the, at Freddie's place. He's just come in contact with so many messed up girls who took the wrong turn or were pushed down the wrong turn. And he can't really talk to her about that because then he'd have to admit what he does and where he's been and what he's seen. But 
it's just it's just such a rich scene and i love that there's no easy answers there's no pat conversation there's no there is no answer you just keep going and you eat your pizza and Mm. you pray to god that your your kid's got a good enough head on her shoulders that she won't try this again and it just seems like now that i'm thinking about it because she had brushed off adrian and the joint before her taking the cap and being so obvious about it coming home and sitting right in front of him and being so obvious about it. It's like, she wants his attention somehow. Mm. She wants to confront him and maybe break through whatever recalcitrance or that quiet withdrawn dad. She wants to break through somehow. Anyway, that's that's how I, how I took it. I, I thought the, this is the scene for me. I criticised the earlier scene of Ray and Gaz in the car spying on on them as being infantile or infantilising Brit, who's 12, but 12 going on 20. And in spite, one of you, I think it was you, Liz, just whoever said you can't talk to a 12-year-old, but she's not 12. And and the way that she's acting, I think Ray's coming to an understanding that she's working him out and he maybe can have somewhat of an adult conversation so he now goes through look there's stuff out there i'm just worried about you i won't be able to protect you you'll be out blah 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 and he's making a logical argument for for his actions and and how he feels and then there's a pause and she looks at him and smiles and says um thanks dad and there's a beat and he just looks and says you little shit and so that was it. They both got it. They, they were, they were getting each other. And, and, and I thought that was, that was really nice. And continuing the never ending, my fascination now with the songs, as soon as he says that in comes this song, it's a 1960s cla- Well, I'd say it's a classic only. I didn't know what it was. I had to Shazam it, but it was the Ronettes. And the title of the song is called, is this what I get for loving you? <laughs> And the lyrics make perfect sense of the episode once again. So again, my mission is to get to this music supervisor for the show. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All righty, righty. So we're getting down to it. That's all for us right now, but we can't wait to see what else happens. And we'll give you our hot takes as soon as we get them. For now, this is Killer Casting signing off.